Hey, what's up? This is LZ Granderson, and welcome to episode five of On Serve. Coco Vandeweghe, what can you say? She comes from a famous family. She's a former top 10 player. But my favorite thing about Coco Vandeweghe is she's not afraid to speak her mind. It's a hat-trick of wins for Coco Vandeweghe against world number ones. She is a big-time player and once again has stepped up on the big stage. Join me for my conversation with Coco Vandeweghe right now. This is On Serve with LZ Granderson. I am here with Coco Vandeweghe, Coco, the 2018 uh, U.S. Open doubles champion, and also uh, the 2017 semifinals for the Australian as well as the U.S. Open. Thank you, Coco, for joining me. Thank you for having me. Uh, I guess the first question has got to be, uh, how are you feeling? I mean, I know you're dealing with injuries right now that's keeping you off the tour right now. Where are you right now in your recovery? Yeah, I've been um, starting to amp up the tennis a lot more. Um, I started the year basically unable to walk. Uh, I had two stress fractures in my feet um, and also had some nerve issues along with that, which impaired me in uh, the walking department and just overall sensitivity of what I was feeling. But the process of coming back has been really long and rigorous, just I've never had to really deal with such an injury in any way, shape, or form for this long. Um, I've had different different things um, happen along through my career, shoulder, um, ankles, back, but, you know, nothing that's kept me out of the tour for this long of a period of time. But I'm starting to ramp up the tennis, um, playing without pain. It's just getting the miles back on my, my feet and um, getting – getting the reps back in and hopefully being ready to go for the summer hardcourt series uh, before the U.S. Open. Now, was this a situation in which you kind of felt something was wrong, but you just kept pushing yourself, or was it completely injuries that came out of nowhere? No, it was it was a combination. So I ended uh, the year, last July, I injured uh, my ankle. I had bone spurs in the front of my ankle, and I tore a ligament. Um in my ankle. So I was trying to rehab that along with playing. So that was really difficult to do. I wasn't completely healed, which caused me to go into the off season a little bit injured. And the way that the um, top 10 rule in the WTA is set up, which I, I was top 10, you have to play certain tournaments throughout the year. Otherwise you will be fined if you don't show up and play because of promotions and different things. And, it was a crummy rule that I had to be a part of that now is gone. Um, <laughs> and But I had to pay the price of, you know, either you show up and you play and play as a, you know, not a, not a full product um, or you're going to have to pay the league uh, for you being unable to play even though it's injury. So I kept playing through and I, you know, luckily I – won the U.S. Open in doubles, and I had great things that happened along the way, but my singles performance was really suffering just because I was unable to finish matches sometimes. I was still in pain. Uh, I wasn't completely healed, so I was going into the off season mainly rehabbing an injury, 
and I was rehabbing it. I went to Hawaii to go play um, an exhibition event to get ready before the Australian Open, and I was feeling kind of a turf toe feeling in my foot, of which is hyperextending the big toe, and it just it feels like it's been overstretched and overused, and. So uh, my coach was like, oh, just take off, you know, a day and let it rest and recover. And so in order to um, counteract the, the turf toe, you have to tape it down a little bit so it doesn't get into hyperflexion. And I did that and I played and it just basically chain link reaction. One thing in the chain was broken and it just kind of stemmed up from there. And at least that's that's what we all uh, determined, and I ended up going to sleep the next day, waking up. I was very sore, limping pretty badly, and I was like, oh, this is really bad, and kind of was with my little sister. She came out, and we were hanging out, and then I was like, you know, I'm going to take a nap. I'm pretty pretty beat up from, from yesterday, and so I took a nap, and I woke up and uh, could hardly walk. It was that quickly overnight and from there the next day my body wouldn't let me even stand on my foot I couldn't could hardly touch it and I was supposed to leave the very next day to go to New Zealand to start my first event and I thought I broke my foot I had no idea it wasn't one action that did anything it was just um a a gradual um overuse I'm, I'm guessing and just you know like I said the chain link deal and so I called my mom and I'm like I think I broke my foot. Like, I, I don't know how I did it, but I, I think we need to go get it checked out. So I flew home. Christmas Day, I go to the emergency room, and I'm sit, sitting around for four or five hours waiting to get x-rays and scans and stuff like that because none of the offices are open. And then I they can't find anything. And I'm still hypersensitive on my foot. It's swollen. It looks like a potato. Like, it, no, you can't even touch. It. I couldn't even put a bed sheet over it. It was that sensitive. Still can't walk, and so finally, I they were thinking, oh, it's an infection. I mean, they were just trying to knock off things, and so finally, it came down to um, this nerve issue. It's called CRPS, and it usually happens when you've casted up something, which technically I kind of did. I taped both my ankles, wear ankle braces, and I was taping my toe down, and it. A fight or flight mechanism in your body of it just shuts down um, an injured area and overreacts to an injury, which were two stress fractures in my in my foot. It was so. First part was getting the nerves to calm down, and once I could do that, I could start going on the stress fractures. But the only thing is, I can't boot my foot because I can't immobilize it with a nerve issue. So it was like a catch twenty two of how am I supposed to heal this? rehab it if I can't do the proper things to actually calm down the, the the stress fractures because of another thing that's happening. So that's what's taken a little bit longer. And, you know, as rehab goes, there's steps forward, there's steps back, there's mental battles along the way. Do I want to, you know, keep doing this and battle myself and you know, feeling a little bit bitter that you're missing a gra- the first Grand Slam, which was a French. Now even more bitter that I'm missing the second one that I actually had in my mind as a goal to hit, which was Wimbledon. So now it's just kind of going through those things. But I'm getting more of the tennis reps in and starting to get playing and getting the live points going. So hopefully I'm ready to go for the first World Team Tennis match in 
uh, July 22nd. Man, that does definitely sound totally awful. I'm so sorry you've had to deal with that. How has having a family basically full of world-class athletes helped you in terms of dealing with injuries from a mental perspective? Well, it helps in a way of uh, I get to see really good doctors really quickly. That's one, <laughs> one good bonus. Um, not only from just the standpoint of my, my grandfather was a, a revered uh, doctor in his own field um, in sports medicine, and as as well as, you know, just kind of the name carries a little bit of weight. And thankfully, I will bit. use it. A little bit. I will absolutely <laughs> use it to cut lines. I don't know. <laughs> so Excuse me. Did, like, did you hear? I'm a vend away. Yes, did you hear that? I know them, too. They're my best friends. <laughs> you know, my second cousin from my grandmother. Fine. Great. <laughs> but it, it's, it's been, it's been uh, interesting of, of going back and forth of, you know, it's 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 a lot of voices sometimes, um, which for injury and healing, it's not everything works for everybody, and and you want to hear everyone's opinion, and that's kind of a great thing that I, I learned from my grandfather was you listen to everybody. Everyone, maybe they don't all have a great idea, but maybe that one person does have a great idea, and it works for you. So in, in this realm, I'm very undereducated in just how to handle this longevity of an injury. And, you know, there was conversations of, like, just shoot it up and go play, um, and maybe you just cut your career short, you know, things things like that. We were having all sorts of conversations, but it's, it's at least sounding boards to um, bounce ideas off of, hear ideas that you actually respect and trust, and you know that they only have you in mind because they are my family first and foremost. Um, switching gears to happier times, 2018, you win the U.S. Open doubles um, title with a very interesting partner, Ashley Barty, who yes. is, who is now the number one player in the world. Did you yeah. see that coming? Uh, yes and no. I mean, when I uh, was top ten in singles, she was in the uh, teens, and I played her once there. And I actually, it was funny, that's how we kind of got our um, uh, doubles relationship going. So I, I put her into off-season, as, as she likes to call it, in 2017 I at uh, the year-end championships in Zuhai. And I ended up losing in the finals of that tournament, and I beat her in the semifinals. And her and my coach is also Australian, Pat Cash, and her coach is Aussie, so they were talking during the Australian Open in 2018 because she was looking for a doubles partner because her longtime partner, Casey Delacqua, had just retired. And they had made, I think, like five Grand Slam finals, had, didn't win one, and so she was already a very accomplished doubles player where I had played sporadically, played doubles here and there. I actually preferred to play mixed doubles because it's shorter, it's um, a little bit easier to to play and it's and for me I it's a little bit more fun to kind of have a challenge of a guy trying to take it at you a little bit mm-hmm. um, and it keeps keeps me engaged uh, in that way so she was definitely the more experienced doubles player when she asked my coach if I was interested in playing and my coach I had the flu during the Australian Open so my coach unbeknownst to me because I'm sick <laughs> in the hotel room says yeah, of course she would love to play doubles. And I'm like, 
I don't even like playing doubles. <laughs> I didn't even. He, and he's like, yeah, you're going to play full time doubles, like a lot with your singles. It's going to really help your singles um, to get going with the match play. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like I have to now play doubles at most tournaments. Like it's an extra match. <laughs> and he's like, well, just think of it this way: you won't have to practice with me for an extra two hours. I was like, done, done deal. I'm out there. I'm playing doubles for sure. <laughs> So we get out there, and our first tournament was Indian Wells in March, and we lose first round. And I'm thinking to myself, God, I mean, I play, I played against her. She she was better than this. Like, we're just not messing well. We don't know each other that well because you know we. It's kind of like, hey, how are you? Go go be, be on your business, sort of thing. We weren't really friends in in the tennis world just as, you know, like, Hey, let's go grab dinner. And like, we hadn't been around each other all that much. And, um, so then the next term I'm, th- I'm going into Miami and it's also, it's a huge tournament and we play the number one seats, which was, uh, Kiki Modanovich and, uh, Tameo Babos and we beat them first round. And then we get up, get going we win a few more matches we're in the finals and we win the whole tournament so our second tournament we ended up winning and it was like okay like this isn't so bad and then we go to the clay court season i don't want to play certain events in single so we're not we hadn't played at all in on clay together we're going to the french open and i remember so distinctly um and it actually was caught on film i kind of did a um, like a, a fake like a juke and she she thought I was going to take the ball and she ended up catching it late on the forehand and it hits me on the side of the face and I'm just like <laughs> all right all right this partnership is still going strong so French Open happens I think we lost in the third round or second round and neither one of us really like clay which is funny enough she ends up winning the french open because both through that whole 2018 season we're like oh god we can't wait to get to grass wait hold up wait hold up hold up one second are you telling me the rainy french open champion doesn't like to play on clay no chance no chance she said it herself as like oh clay court season is one one week closer to the grass court season and we were going back and forth like making fun of each other cuz i made the finals of Stuttgart that year, and she's like, "All right, clay court rat, like you know, dirt ball it up with the Spaniards and all these guys that grew up on clay." I'm like, "No, no, 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 not taking this title. Like, for sure, not taking this title of the clay court rat." And so, I was I was texting her um, sporadically through her French Open title win and congratulating her and heckling her a little bit. And that's kind of how our relationship has definitely evolved is heckling and hazing each other. And so. The Wimbledon goes by, and I end up injuring myself first round in the singles. We don't play. We don't play through the whole U.S. Open series, and we show up to the uh, U.S. Open. I think it's our third, or third, fourth tournament together, and <laughs> and I had just lost my singles, still injured, and I'm like, I need redemption. Like, I want to play in the doubles, and she's still in singles. She makes it to the round of 16, and the match. It's funny we look back and can joke about it now, but the match is that. I didn't want to play and show up. She wanted to beat those opponents and vice versa. The matches that she had just lost her singles kind of bummy, but I really wanted to beat these opponents. Like I, I wanted to take it to them. 
and kind of we raised each other up through the whole um, tournament and come to the finals. I had never won a Grand Slam. She had never won a Grand Slam. And we're getting in there, and it's not feeling good. It's not feeling good. Like, you get into matches and you get into games, and it's just like you're feeling yourself like I'm playing well, I'm doing the things I need to do correctly. And this one, I was just like, we're not getting many plays out here. Like, we're kind of getting it taken to us, which doesn't suit either one of our games really well. Um, and we turn it around the second set. I get the crowd behind us being at the U.S. Open and the American out there, only one out there, and playing. And we're and it's starting to fill up because we're running into the men's uh, singles final. So it's getting really packed, loud, and, and the roof's closed, so it's even louder there on Ash. And we end up pulling it out in a tiebreaker being down match points against us in uh, the game I was serving as well as also the tiebreaker. And when we won, <laughs> it was so much elation. I was like, holy crap, I'm a Grand Slam champion. And so was she. And and immediately both of us, like, text her old partner because I'm good friends with her and was like, we did it, like, team effort, the three of us. Like, we got it done. You gave Ashley experience of being there, and we finally got it done. And and then the next year, here she is winning the French Open. So I, I can claim a little bit of, like, I kick-started a Grand Slam winning trend for her. Just a little <laughs> bit. Like, I, I can claim she got the taste of it with me. I, I think you can definitely say you definitely were involved in, <laughs> in helping her build championship medal, if you will. <laughs> okay, we're going to take a quick time out. And then more with Coco is coming up. It's on serve with me, LZ Granderson. When I first noticed you, obviously your last name, you know, caught my eye. I'm an NBA fan, you know, Kiki Vandeway, Ernie Vandeway, that whole thing. But the other thing, too, was that um, your initial coach, I, I think was your first coach, um, was someone who was an up-and-comer on the men's side and ended up getting um, hurt with his shoulder and wasn't able to fulfill his uh, his destiny. And now you're with Pat Cash. Do you prefer having um, players or coaches who have had significant individual success, or are you okay with people who may have, uh, you know, may not reach their full potential? No, it's it's what I look for in a in a coach um, is someone that um, is invested in me, not just as a tennis player, but as a person. And that's really important to me, and that makes me want to work for them, too, because I know that they care about me as as just a regular regular person. And having to share those moments with somebody, it makes it a little bit easier to respect what they have to say, being that they've done it before. And when I started to work with Pat, that was something I was kind of craving. Um, the previous coach I was with, I felt was lacking in that department of like having been there. And because I was starting to make second weeks of Grand Slams, I was starting to go quarterfinals and, and play against these top players. And um, I was saying to myself, man, I don't want to be first time seeing these guys when I'm in a quarterfinals. I want to have the experience. I want to um, 
have someone that can give me maybe a nuance or a trick or something, just some sort of little edge that makes it easier for that first time I step out there because nerves are always going to be in play for me. And I know how to play tennis, but it's something of a relaxing factor of someone that's been there, done that, telling you, you can do this. And that, that for me is what I looked for when I started to work with Pat. And I never even thought Pat was even an option for me as, as a coach, just being who he is, the pedigree that he has. And, and I didn't even know he was interested in coaching at all. And so you go up to him and say, hey, Pat, are you, are you free on Fridays? No, it was actually <laughs> funny. I, I, I stopped working with my previous coach, Craig Carden at the French Open, and I immediately flew home back to California, which a lot that's not may, like not kind of the thing to do on the WTA tour or in the tour in general. Like Usually you stick it out in Europe for a good while, and I was like, screw this, I'm out of here. <laughs> I beat TLC, I went to my mom's, I was chilling, I was in, and I was only had four days in California before I had to fly back and go play my next tournament in Holland where I was defending champion and I had no coach and I'm kind of chilling at the, at the beach or at the pool or whatever. And I get a call from my agent like, Hey, so uh, what are you going to do? Like, um, got a plan? And I was like, yeah, I don't need coach. Like I'm good. Like I'm just going to go out there and wing it, you know? And I'm sure they were thinking, Oh my gosh, the grass court season, like this is where she thrives. Her best results. Like, this, this girl's lost the plot, you know, sort of thing. And they're like, um, you know, we got we got a couple names of coaches. Um, why, don't, why don't you give them a call? And so they gave me three names, and Pat was one of the names. And so I gave him a call, and so we were playing phone tag back and forth because he was in Europe and doing commentary and playing in the Legends and doing Pat Cash things. And so I was sitting at the airport about to go to Holland, and... I, we finally get in touch, and he's like, yeah, I'm totally into this, but I don't want to just do the grass court season. I want your commitment through U.S. Open. And I, was, I said, all right, you know, that's that's fine. I'll, I'll commit to U.S. Open, and I'm I'm into it. And I, first tournament together, lose first round. <laughs> I had match points in the, in the match, and we spent the whole week training, and play, I was playing doubles. Um, I made the – I think in the doubles and we were training for hours on the grass court before and after the matches. And cause it was kind of our introduction into each other, kind of hearing his language, um, hearing what he expected, what I expected and kind of just understanding each other played the next event. And he had other obligations already committed to in commentary at Queens, which is rival week of the tournament that the women have in Birmingham. And he took, was taking the train back and forth, trying to make it all work out. And he was, and it really showed me kind of like his investment of like he wants to make this work. And we, you know, conversations of just getting to know each other and all these things. And we go into Wimbledon, and I get to this semis of Wimbledon. Um, sorry, the quarterfinals of Wimbledon, and I'm playing a, a girl on paper I should beat um, ranking wise. I had the better ranking. And it was to play um, Muguruza in the semifinals, who I had beaten every time I was on grass. And so in my mind, I'm, I'm thinking ahead, and 
I'm like, gosh, this is my moment. I'd, I'd beaten Muguruza that year at the uh, Australian Open in the semis to make the finals to play Venus. And as things turned out, it was the same scenario. It was Muguruza potential in the semis to go play Venus in the finals of Wimbledon. I was like, this is my second chance. Like, I'm thinking ahead. I'm not even thinking about the match that I have to play in the quarters. And I ended up getting spanked by this girl and the the moment had hit me so hard and I had never had a feeling of experience of having a moment of potential of what if hit me so hard in, in a match. And so came off the court and I told Pat, I said, I never want to feel like that again. And he hooked me up with um, this mental coach, Don McPherson. Um, I talked to him a week later and we were working together all through the U.S. Open Series. Pat came out to California, and we finally had our first training block together. And um, we were training all through the Stanford tournament, which I made the finals of singles and won the doubles. And he was starting to now sneak in me playing more doubles, as you can tell. (laughs) Whether you were aware of it or not. (laughs) Whether I was aware of it or not. And I'm playing all these events leading up and having good results at Stanford, having a bad result in Cincinnati where I had to play Madison Keys again in the finals in the first round. And then we went to the U.S. Open early um, because I don't like playing the week before a Grand Slam. It's exhausting, and I like to be at, a tr- at the Grand Slams early, and I like being in New York. So I was went to the Hamptons, and I hit for a couple days out there and then went into the city and we were training and practicing, and I was feeling good, and I was playing all three events. I was playing singles, doubles, and mixed. And I was playing doubles mainly for the Fed Cup final, where USA was playing Belarus, and I was playing with my friend Shelby Rogers, who I thought, you know, could make the team, was probably going to make the team. And our coach, Kathy Rinaldi, asked me if I could if I could play and see if who I could play with, because at the time I was the number one girl that was committed to going and playing in the Fed Cup final. And that was one of the biggest things for me in my career is to play for your country. And so I was really committed to doing it, uh, which Pat really understood being a Davis Cup champion himself. And so going into the U.S. Open, I'm playing all three events. I lose first round in the doubles with Shelby which almost was a godsend because I ended up making it so far in, in the singles. I made the semifinals, losing the Madison Keys um, in the semifinals. And after that match, it was it was such a special moment for Pat and I, just kind of like all the hard work, all the nonsense that goes on in and around a tournament, behind the scenes, uh, just life in general that hits you. I mean, you know, stuff, stuff happens while you're, while you're playing. And so we had a big hug and, and I started crying and it was just really tough because we felt that we worked both of us and it was a team effort to get to this point and I, I wanted more and I went to uh, play Asia and I played European indoor season which I never play um, I usually call it a season by then but I, I wanted the Fed Cup I wanted to win it and going to Zuhai where I didn't even know it was a possibility for me to make top 10. And I made, I ended up making top 10 there. Um, and going into the Fed Cup final, it was Sloan Stevens, myself, Shelby Rogers, and Allison Risk all on a team playing. And, and that was the, the same year that Bethany blew out her knee. So we were expecting Bethany to be there, and she wasn't there. And 
you know, it's just a lot of emotions going on. And also being at the end of the year, you're just fried in general. And so we're playing, we're competing. And unfortunately, Sloan lost both her matches. So I was, I was trying to stay in it for, for the team and for the country. And it's a lot more emotions and difficulties when you're playing for other people. And getting into the final match of the doubles, I had no idea who I was going to play with um, in the doubles. I wasn't told. I see Shelby getting laced up and ready to go after Sloan had just lost her uh, singles match. And I was like, okay, well, I guess I'm playing with Shelby. And we have a loss record. We're doing great. We're going to do do our best and get out there. <laughs> and I, I can see her warming up. And I don't know what it was. I could just feel that she was nervous, which, understandably, I was nervous. But I could just visibly see it. And I go up to her and I'm like, and I know she's super patriotic like I am, wants to play for her country and all this. And, I, and we're good friends off the court also. I spend most of my birthdays with her um, in December. And I go up to her and I'm like, Shelby, there's nobody else I want to be out there and can trust out there to play with me. And for whatever reason, it settled me. And hopefully it settled her because she played great and we ended up winning the title. And it was the first time USA had held it in 10 years, I think, and it was a great way to finish a very long year, top 10, and making a Fed Cup final. So it was, it was really a really good year for me in 2017. Well, hopefully the second half of 2019 uh, yes, hopefully turns around. Yes, hopefully it's going to be a kickstart going into, you know, it's, it's not going to be easy starting out where I'm going to be starting out, um, but also it's more just looking forward into building again. That's what that's what I wanted. I felt like my 2018 was cut short with injury. 2019 never got started, so it's like I'm hungry for something that was taken away from me um, when I wasn't ready for it to be taken away, which is always very difficult to kind of comprehend and then handle. Well, I, for one, am looking forward to your return coming in the hardcore season, your fire, uh, the competitive edge. Um, I love it. You know, I know you get a lot of criticism for some of the way that you behave and respond on the court, but that criticism does not come from me. I, I love the fight. No, I appreciate it. I, I think it's it's a lot of misunderstanding of just how people, you know, not everyone can be competing in the same way. I don't expect a lot of people to fire themselves up and show their desire in the same way that I do. And it's the way that I know how I can get the best for myself. And people may like it or not like it, but it sh- it just shows the desire of how badly I want it. And it's hard for, for a lot of people to comprehend of, you know, I'm, I'm training my whole life to perform in a hour to two hour time slot. And when things are going poorly, I'm having thousands of people watch me fail at something that I've only trained my whole life to do. But it's also the flip side of that is, when it's going well and you're winning and people are cheering for you, it's the best feeling ever. And you handle it different ways. I mean, some people uh, shout out or hit a ball out of the stadium or, you know, go internal and it looks like they're not trying or they're grumpy or whatever. And, and it's just, it's all personal, person, personal kind of feeling. Special thanks to Coco Vanderway for making the time and to Chris Morales, Dan Zampillo, and Pete Genesini for helping to produce this podcast. If you like the show, please rate and review it. This episode wraps up season one of On Serve. Look out for season two coming soon. On Serve with LZ Granderson is an ESPN audio production. <laughs>